take your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges, please. Book of Judges, or if you're <clears throat> visiting with us and you need a Bible, pull out that black Bible in the chair in front of you and start in Genesis, find page, first book of the Bible, Genesis, and find page 187. Judges, chapter 8. Judges, chapter 8. That's where we're actually going to start. 8.33, the end of chapter 8 in the book of Judges. Again, page 187 in that black Bible. Judges, chapter 8, and then we're going to study all the way through chapter 9. So Judges, chapter 8, verse 33, all the way to chapter 9, verse 57, because it all goes together. It'd be um, wrong for us to split this apart. By the way, as you're turning there, I checked out this week on Father's Day, so all you guys, men, and we do men, all men 13 and up, uh, we'll get you something next week, like a screwdriver or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> so, so we'll do that next week. So I was trying to get back in the groove of thing after vacation. Then like, the thing is, yes, last night, I'm like, oh man, I didn't get anything for Father's Day. I totally forgot. <laughs> nice. So anyways, so you have something coming next week. All the guys 13 and up. Because it's all men. It should be a Father's Day for all, because there's men who don't have physical fathers, but they're spiritual fathers, right? So any guy that's uh, 13 and up will stand, and you'll get a, a little gizwitchet thing, quest. Yeah. Uh, 8.33, let's start reading. 8.33 of Judges, Then it came about as soon as Gideon was dead that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Barit their God. Thus the sons of Israel did not remember Yahweh their God who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the household of Jeroboam, Gideon, in accord with all the good that he had done to Israel. Chapter 9, and Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers and spoke to them and to the whole clan of the household of his mother's father, saying, Speak now in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. Which is better for you? That 70 men, all the sons of Jeroboam, rule over you? Or that one man rule over you? Also remember that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words on his behalf in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. And they were inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, He is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the house of Baal Barit with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem and all Beth Milo assembled together, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar, which was in Shechem. Now when they told Jotham, he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and called out. Thus he said to them, Listen to me, O men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Verse 8. Once the trees went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my fatness with which God and men are honored and go to wave over the trees? Then the tree said to the fig tree, You come reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go to wave over the trees? 
Then the tree said to the vine, you can run, run, come reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my new vine with cheers God and men and go to wave over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the bramble, you come reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you are anointing me as king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, may fire come out from the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Verse 16, now therefore, if you have dealt in truth and integrity in making Abimelech king, and if you've dealt well with Jerubbaal and his house, and have dealt with him as he deserved, for my father fought for you, and risked his life, and delivered you from the hand of Midian, but you've risen against my father's house today, and have killed his son, seventy men, on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his slave, king over the men of Shechem, because he's your brother. If then you have dealt in truth and integrity with Jerubbaal and his house this day, rejoice in Abimelech. Let him also rejoice in you, but if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. Let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham escaped and fled and went to Beir and remained there because of Abimelech, his brother. Verse 22. Now Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. Then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech in order that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubbaal might come and their blood might be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the men of Shechem sent men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who might pass by them along the road, and it was told to Abimelech, Now, Gaal, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers and crossed over into Shechem, And the men of Shechem put their trust in him. And they went out into the field and gathered vineyards and trod them and held a great feast. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Then Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbaal? Zebul, his lieutenant, served the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Why should we serve him? Would therefore that this people were under my authority. Then I would remove Abimelech. And he said to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. And when Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, his anger burned. And he sent messengers to Abimelech and Tormah, saying, Behold, Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem. And behold, they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, arise by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. It shall come about in the morning as soon as the sun is up that you shall rise early and rush upon the city and behold, when he and the people are with him come out against you, you shall do to them as your hand can find. Verse 34, So Abimelech and all the people who were with him arose by night and lay in wait against Shechem and four companies. Now Gaal, the son of Ebed, went out sipping on his coffee, oh that's my version, and stood in the entrance of the city gate and Abimelech and the people who were with him arose from the ambush and when Gaal saw the people, he said to Zebul, look, People are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul said to him, ah, you're seeing the shadows of the mountains as they were men. And Gaal spoke again and said, behold, people are coming down from the highest part of the land. And one company comes by way of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, where is your mouth now? With which you said, is this not the people whom you despise? Go out now and fight with them. 
So Gaal went out before the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech and Abimelech chased him and he fled before him and many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gates. Then Abimelech remained at Aruma, but Zabul drove out Gaal and his brothers that they could not remain in Shechem. It gets worse, 42, and it came about the next day that the people went out to the field and it was told to Abimelech. So he took his people and divided them into three companies and lay in wait in the field when he looked and saw the people coming out from the city, he arose against them and struck them. Then Abimelech and the company who were with him dashed forward and stood in the entrance of the city gate and of the other two companies then dashed against all who were in the field and struck them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day and he captured the city and killed the people in it. Then he raised the city and sowed it with salt. And all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard of it. They entered the inner chamber of the temple of el it was told to Abimelech that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. So Abimelech went up to Mount Zamun. He and all the people were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a branch from the trees and lifted it up and laid it on his shoulder. Then he said to the people with him, what you've seen me do, hurry, do likewise. And all the people also cut down each one his branch and followed Abimelech and he put them on the inner chamber and set the inner chamber on fire over those inside so that all the men of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. Verse 50. Then Abimelech went to Thebiz, and he camped against Thebiz and captured it. But there was a strong tower in the center of the city, and all the men and women with the, all the leaders of the city fled there and shut themselves in, and they went up on the roof of the tower. So Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and approached the entrance of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head crushing his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me. Lest it be said of me, a woman struck me. So the young man pierced him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, East departed to his own place. Thus, God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father in killing his 70 brothers. Also, God returned all the wickedness of the men of Shechem on their heads, and the curse of Jotham, the son of Drobaal, came upon them. September 1934, Nuremberg. The Nazi party was celebrating. A man by the name of William L. Shire, he was there. And he said this about Adolf Hitler. Quote, the words he uttered, the thoughts he expressed, often seemed to me ridiculous. But that week in Nuremberg, I began to comprehend that it did not matter so much what he said, but how he said it. Hitler's communication with his audiences was uncanny. He established a rapport almost immediately and deepened and intensified it as he went on speaking holding them completely in his spell. In such a state, he continues, it seemed to me they easily believed anything he said, even the most foolish nonsense. Over the years, as I listened to scores of Hitler's major speeches, I would pause in my own mind to exclaim, what utter rubbish, what brazen lies. Then I would look around at the audience. His German listeners were lapping up every word as the utter truth, end quote.
scary. And yet it happens. A leader like this that can come and if people are whimsical and foolish, they'll follow. And that's what you see with Abimelech. <laughs> One commentator titled this chapter, Bramble Man, the Destroyer of Israel. He has a big B with a cape. And yet God would use this crazed, power-hungry tyrant to sovereignly judge and discipline. Remember, what's what's the driving theme of the book of Genesis? The theme is God's overwhelming, never-ending, relentless love for his people. And get this from this chapter, his love sovereignly judges and disciplines sovereignly judges and his love disciplines. Should, should be an S after that. His love sovereignly judges and disciplines. Actually, you're going to see today in this chapter, a little bit of chapter 8, end of chapter 8. Let me put it to you in a statement. His love sovereignly judges and disciplines. God loves us as his people so much, he will judge those who come against us as his people, but will also discipline us to love him chiefly. Remember, he wants you to want him. That's a subtitle, the, the, the sub-theme of the book of Judges. He wants you to want him solely, chiefly, First, foremost, primarily. And he'll do whatever it takes to get you to get there. That's how much he loves his people. So much. If anyone comes against his people, he'll judge them. But as he's judging people who are coming against his people, in the same time, he will discipline us as his people so we will love him. Don't underestimate what God is doing in your life, Christian. Don't underestimate what he's doing in your life. Another way to put it, longer statement, our just, loving God will right all wrongs in his time, not when you want it, but he will also do his work of disciplining us so that we would love him chiefly and solely. He'll do what it takes for us to love him. Are you ready for that? I'm not. I'm preaching this and I don't want to, you want to, you want to say that? I don't want to say it. I don't want to be a part of that. Do you? He'll do whatever it takes. He'll do what it takes for us to love him. That's why James says, consider all joy when you face trials. That's how much he loves you. Bramble man, the destroyer of Israel. He's not called a judge. He was certainly not raised up by Yahweh to rescue Israel. Oh no. He sinfully saw an opportunity to further himself he took advantage of the situation. 
Israel was invaded by foreign invaders, ravaging them, pillaging them, right? We saw that in previous chapters. Today, we see the ravaging and pillaging from within, from one of their own. Very intriguing story, a true story, true, intriguing, uh, but also sad. And we see Israel sin in spades, forgetting Yahweh once again, picking a bad leader, and then God's judgment upon them and his discipline upon his people. Did you notice something? Did you notice how no one asked Yahweh for his direction? You notice that? Remember chapter six? You know, God comes, right? And, and then, you know, asking what I should do, Gideon, he's doing this, right? No one's asking God anything. Do you notice that? No one asked Yahweh what he should do, which rings true for the book of Judges. Remember, another sub-theme is everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's what you see here. I have two points, which I think you saw it. His love judges, his love disciplines. The first, I should take the second, be the first, and the first be the second. Right? Yeah. So first point, God takes seriously if our love for him is rivaled. Uh, we looked at this, uh, I think it was chapter three. We brought up this principle, this gospel truth. God takes seriously if our love for him is rivaled. You see that, chapter 8, 33 or 35. So, he'll discipline us so that we love him chiefly, solely. Because what do you see here? Soon as Gideon was dead, there they go again. The sons of Israel again played the harlot Israel being stupid once again. The wife went after another man again. She, Israel, played the harlot with Baal once again. Notice uh, it says even here the end of verse 33, and made Baal berit their God. Berit is the Hebrew word for covenant. So, so the... They made some kind of covenants. Samuel doesn't tell us, give us the specifics here, but there was some covenant that they're making. What are, you, what are you thinking? They went even farther than they've gone before. It's like they could give all the right answers, but they, you know, they gave all the right answers with their fingers crossed behind their back. Oh yeah, we love you, Lord. Their hearts were far from the Lord. Their hearts were far from Yahweh. Remember when Jesus said this about the Pharisees? In Matthew chapter 15, verse seven and eight, you give all the right answers, but your hearts are far from me. Israel forgot Yahweh again, but they also forgot someone else. Gideon, nor did they show, verse 35, kindness to the household of Jabrabah, that is Gideon. Remember, Jerubbaal means let Baal contend. And all the good that he'd done. But wait a minute. I thought Gideon did some stupid things. Well, yeah. One of them was naming his son. My dad's king. That's what Abimelech means. My dad's king. Nice, Gideon. Way to go. Great Father's Day thing to do, right? <laughs> 
They did not treasure Yahweh, nor did they treasure Gideon and all the good he'd done to Israel. In spite of his dumb flaws, like naming his kid, my dad's king. And you see Samuel placed great emphasis on their lack of gratitude for Gideon. Here, the middle part of chapter 9 with, with Jotham, with his, his, like, his, his parable prophecy, towards the end of chapter 9, I mean, it's in the beginning, in the middle, at the end. I mean, Samuel's really trying to tell you something here. They'd forgotten. It's sad. Thanks should be given to good leaders, especially those who do good to God's people. Sadly, Christians don't respect their good leaders. Matter of fact, they pick poor leaders, bad leaders. Christians do really good at that. Christians have little discernment. They think businessmen are make good leaders. That's foolish. Forgetting Yahweh and ingratitude toward Gideon went hand in hand. And then you see what unfolds for you, what unfolds for us as the readers in this next section. This would be God's discipline upon his people for forgetting him and forgetting a good leader. Along with the judgment of Bemelech, you're going to see the judgment of Bemelech for what he'd done. His sin, yes. But this was God's judgment upon them. God takes seriously when our love for someone or something else rivals our love for him, rivals your devotion to him. I mean, we sing that song, Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. And, and this is the thing. It could be a good thing. You can have a desire to have a good thing, a, a, a desire for something that's good. It's not bad in and of itself, but that good thing ends up becoming a bad thing or becomes a God thing, and that's a bad thing, right? Because your desire for that thing or for that person goes far above your desire for God. God takes seriously when our love for Him is rivaled. Is there something that's that rival in your love for Christ? So that's the first point. Point number two, God takes seriously those who oppress His people, so He'll judge all wrongs, vindicating Himself and His people. He takes seriously those who oppress his people. And that's what you see here in chapter 9. Abimelech thinks he's going to get away with it, but he doesn't. God's going to judge. He'll judge all wrongs. God will vindicate himself and his people. I mean, that's a theme, a meta narrative theme throughout the whole Bible. And of course, what is the the climax of that theme of the fact that God vindicates himself and his people, its climax, the epitome of that principle is seen in Christ. Because Jesus faced suffering. Jesus faced that upon himself and yet God vindicated himself and vindicated his son. Which is why you know God will vindicate himself and he'll vindicate you. He will right all wrongs. 
I mean, you, you see the emphasis upon his judgment. Here in chapter 8, the verse 30 through 35, even you see it here. Chapter 9, 16 to 18, verse 24, 56 to 57, his judgment. Now, mind you though, when and how he judges is up to him. He's unpredictable. And he likes to use obscure circumstances for his own glory. So God's creative, unpredictable. When he judges and how he judges, it's not up to you. It's up to him. You know he's going to judge us of what? The why he's going to vindicate himself and his people. You know that. But you don't know when. You don't know how. And that's exactly how he wants it to be. Because he's unpredictable. He likes to use obscure circumstances. Oops. I dropped my millstone off the tower. Oops. It landed on his head. A woman. Remember? Chapter 9. She pushed that over. Just so happens to hit him in the head. That's obscure. Unexpected. God loves to do things like that. Because that's how he works. Let's go through this. Chapter 9. Abimelech. Remember his name means my dad's king. Thank you Gideon. His name my son my dad's king. His mom was a female slave. Abimelech. We're going to call him Abby for short here and there. He was treacherous, ambitious, deceitful, striving, a very persuasive guy. His rule would be brief. It wouldn't be beyond Manasseh, the tribe of Manasseh. Uh, he was a tyrant, not a king. But he was crowned the first king of Israel. Notice what he does. Chapter 9 and verse 1, he spoke to his brothers, mother's brothers, the whole clan. Verse 2, speaking of the of the leaders of Shechem, which is better, 70 men to rule over you or one man? Shechem was filled with Israelites mainly, but there were some Canaanites. This was central Canaan though. So the son of Gideon got his bros to put in a good word about him to the city leaders. You don't want these sissies to rule you. You want a man to rule you. You want me. You wanted me to rule you, he says. Uh, so, uh, verse 3, and his mother's brothers, they spoke all these words on behalf and the hearing of the leaders. They were inclined to follow Abimelech. They were fickle. Notice, they said, he's our brother, and they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the house of Baal Barit. This is how prevalent, and this is the extent of Baal worship. This sheds light on the thinking of Abi and the Shechemites. They give a thumbs up for Baal. These men of Shechem were going to have somebody rule over them. These men of Shechem, they wanted somebody to rule over them. Or at least they, they wanted someone to rule them. So with his persuasive personality, he convinced them to choose him. They had forgotten God was to rule over Israel. And he would fulfill that in his Messiah. Uh, but with his persuasive personality, he convinced them, choose him, not these 70 bums. So he convinced them, they did it. He got the money, notice, he went to his father's, oh excuse me, first verse four, uh, he hired worthless and reckless fellows and they followed him. 
he hired a bunch of worthless losers and then here in verse five they committed something very atrocious and unbelievable act. They slaughtered his brothers on one stone. And then verse six they installed him as king. Ironically notice it says by the oak of the pillar which was in Shechem. You know where that is? That was the place where Jacob and Joshua affirm their trust and fidelity to Yahweh. Isn't that ironic? Where they affirm their trust and their love for Yahweh, they're doing the very opposite. (laughs) Typical political ploy that we see even our own government, right? One writer said this, people do, quote, strange and terrible things, end quote, for their lust for power. But notice, somebody escaped. Uh, Jotham, it says here, he escaped, uh, end of, middle of verse five and into verse six. It was told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim. He escaped, and he then, he spoke a parable, and then a prophetic word. He gave a prophecy, a curse, really. And into this parable, uh, come rain over us, come rain over us, come rain over us, come rain over us. But then they said to the bramble, the trees, come rain over us. And notice how he describes how they treated his father. Verse 17, or excuse me, verse 16 into verse 17. You have dealt with him as he deserved, for my father fought for you. He risked his life. He delivered you from the hand of Midian. Verse 18, but you've risen against my father's house and have killed the sons. They should have listened to Jotham. They were like what Jesus said to the Jews in John chapter 5. Jesus says, I come in my Father's name and yet you don't accept me. Some guy comes in his own name and yet you accept him. That's what these guys did with Abimelech. Jotham's point, you fools picked an idiot. Bramble a loser. He's useless. Notice, he brings out his true character. He was useless, worthless, and guess what? You guys are going to get what you pay for. They foolishly accepted unqualified leadership. One writer says, quote, Brambles makes good fuel but poor kings. Yeah. You don't, Follow Bramble, you burn it. That's a warning to us all. Don't follow bad leaders. Know your leaders well. Look at verse 20. If you've not dealt with him in the way you should, in truth and sincerity, if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. What's he talking about? Abby would be the source of fire that would consume them, but they would also end up consuming Abimelech. This is where he's prophesying. A curse. God wants his people to choose solid leaders to lead his people, not idiots or fools. He takes seriously those who lead his people and those who oppress his people, even if it's from within. He takes it seriously. 
Notice what happens. Verse 22. Now Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. Did you see that? Three years. Three years of this tyrant. The time for God's judgment will come when he wants it to come. And notice it comes, verse 23. Then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. It was time for him to act and to judge Abimelech and the men of Shechem. So he began the process by bringing an evil spirit to create distrust, hatred, and disloyalty between them. And his judgment, it's going to unfold. First, you see this discontent, then opposition, a rival leader, civil war, atrocious horrors. The tyrant dies, the ban of men disperses. You, you, you can see God uses creative and unexpected ways to accomplish his plan. He does. And he's going to bring it back on them. Notice verse 24. In order that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come and their blood might be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers, God will judge. You can be sure of that. So what do they do? How did it begin? Verse 25, the men of Shechem sent an ambush against him. They installed a gang of men to ambush travelers who passed by on the main road. Well, why did they do this? It would give Abimelech, as one writer says, quote, a political black eye. They would discredit him. Well, we we can't even travel safely. Somebody's going to take and steal our stuff. Who's this Abimelech guy? See, they're trying to create this distrust in Abimelech. That's what they're doing. The men of Shechem. They're so fickle. And then, verse 26, now Gaal, this guy shows up, possibly a Canaanite. He saw an opportunity. All right. He's going to challenge Abby cross over to Shechem and the men of Shechem what did they do? they put their trust in him they have this excessive drinking party uh, Canaanite worshipping of their gods they were known for excessive drinking and immorality he says oh this drinking take a blaze he's probably plastered he rallied the men of Shechem absolutely opposed Abimelech Whoa, who's going to rule us? Let me rule over you. Trust me. He says, would therefore that this people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. Was that the wine drinking or was that him? And notice, Zabul, he was there. It looked like he was for Gaal, but he's really for Abby. He went to Abby, he told them, set an ambush at night and strike at dawn. Notice what happens in verse 34. He rose by night, went, he was lying in wait against Shechem. He went out, Gaal. He was looking and he says to Zabul, look, people are coming down. Hey, there's people out there on those mountains. And Zabul, nah, dude, you just gotta get your eyes checked, man. Put your glasses on. Yeah, it's just shadows. It's not really people. Gaul says, no, 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 really. I see people coming down. And then Zobo says, where's your mouth now, jerk? That's Jim's translation. 
Where's your mouth now where you said, who is Abimah that we should serve him? So what happens? Gaal, he goes out to face Abimah. Abimelech defeats him, and then Zabul ran, he ran off Gaal and his whole company. They didn't even return to Shechem. Now they're gone. But notice, Abimelech was still angry. He was still ticked off. He treated the people who crowned him even worse than he treated his own brothers. Because notice what happens. Look at verse 42. Next day, People went out to the field. Normal day to farm. We're going to go out, do what we got to do. We're good. What does Abimelech do? He comes out. He strikes them down while they're in the field. Then he destroyed their city. And notice the end of verse 45. He killed the people in it. Then he raised the city and sowed it with salt. They go out. Oh, bummer. Aaron's on top of that. Thanks, Aaron. Man, what a jerk. Notice what happens in verse 46. All the, leaders of the, all the leaders of the tower of Shechem, they heard of it. They entered the inner chamber of the temple. This was a temple tower. So what did Abby do? Verse 48, he took an axe in his hand. He cut down a branch from the trees. He lifted it up, laid it on his shoulder. He told his guys, well, you see me do, you guys go do it too. And then they set the tower on fire. So they burned alive people in there or they choked on the smoke or both. Look at another atrocity. This guy was crazed by his love for power. It gets better. Thebes, verse 50. He went there. Oh, they revolted against you. I'll show them. captures it. There's a tower. What do the people do? They all go to the tower again. So what does he do? I'm going to do the same thing I did before. I'm going to burn it. A millstone. Grinding wheat was the work of women. And a millstone, it was, it was like maybe 10 to 20 pounds, something like that. Thanks, Aaron. About 10 to 20 pounds. So it says, verse 53 a certain woman just happened to throw a millstone on Abimelech's head, crushing his skull. God's sovereignty. A woman, remember he likes to use obscurities? And it would be disgraceful in this time period to be killed by a woman. So that's why he asked the armor bearer, strike me down so it's not said that I was killed by a woman. And yet, guess what? We're reading that he was killed by what? A woman. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. Verse 55, when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead. Oh, okay. They all went to their own place. They all went home. Oh, I guess we're done here. Okay. Abimelech, the Shechemites, they were guilty of huge atrocities, extortion, murder, deceit, the abuse of power. They were judged. Again, an intriguing story, isn't it? And you would think that Hollywood would get a hold of this story and do something with it, right? I mean, you, I mean this is like something you, you watch on the movie theaters. I mean, this is unbelievable, some of the stuff you're reading about. 
But what was really happening? Verse 56 and 57, look at it. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father in killing his 70 brothers. Remember, he said this. Samuel said this earlier in chapter, chapter 9. Verse 57, also God returned all the wickedness of the men of Shechem on their heads. And the curse of Jotham, earlier in chapter 9, the son of Jeroboam came upon them. The fire from Abi destroyed the men of Shechem, and yet fire came from the men of Shechem and consumed Abi. God instigated his judgment on both of these groups. God's judgment works silently and unobserved in ways we don't expect or even want. Jotham Jotham prophesied what would happen, and it happened. God many times allows evil to destroy itself. Evil has no lasting fellowship. Evil doesn't care for people, it just uses people. But listen, God always judges and he always wins in the end, vindicating himself and his people. And again, the epitome of this principle is seen in Christ, is seen in Messiah, is seen in Jesus. God always wins. What looks like defeat, what looks like horrible atrocity and and, and absolute losing is actually victory. God wins in the end. He will right the wrongs. He'll vindicate himself and he'll vindicate his people because he did that with Jesus. One thing is for sure, God takes seriously those who oppress his people, even those from within. He will eventually judge, just probably not when you want it or even how you want it. You know the what, you know the why, but you won't know the when and you won't necessarily know the how. But that's how much he loves his people and that's how much he wants them to chiefly and solely love him. God takes it seriously. He takes seriously his people not loving him or worshiping him as they've been created. He takes seriously people in general not loving him and worshiping him the way they've been created. So what about you? Are you worshiping and loving him? Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you trusted Christ to be your own? Have you turned from your sin and put your hope in Jesus? God will judge you or you can face his mercy and his compassion because that judgment was placed upon Jesus in the place of sinners and you can be free and have grace and have his love. Come, trust Jesus. He'll save you. So you look at this, chapter nine. Why would God allow this great evil to happen? I don't know. I'm not God. I mean, what, what we mean for, e- we and others mean for evil, he means for good, right? His good and the good of his people. It went out again. Well, I guess you gotta stay back there. Well, how was it good for these people to be slaughtered? How was it good for these sons to be slaughtered? I don't know. 
But God did vindicate himself, didn't he? He vindicated himself and them through judgment. He rights all wrongs. But why would he even let this happen? God, again, God uses creative, obscure, unexpected ways to display his glory. He's God. We're called to trust him. I don't have it up there. Oh, you got it up there. Thanks, Aaron. God loves us so much. God loves us so much. He will judge those who come against us as his people, but will also discipline us to love him chiefly. He will. Are you ready for that? Let's thank him. And yet it's hard for us to thank you for that, Father. Because sometimes when we face your discipline, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. We don't, we don't feel the love. But help us to not be driven by feelings, but be driven by truth. Direct us to love you. And all of us here, there's so many things, different things we're dealing with in our lives. And you're working out all these issues, all these situations as our shepherd, shepherding us, loving us as your people, and directing us to love you chiefly, solely, first and foremost, primarily. And we pray, give us your grace to not only embrace this shepherding in our lives, but also to display this same love towards each other within this body, amongst us as your church. Thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that you're good. Help us to trust you in that, in spite of what we see. I want to encourage you as we do each week that you would take just a few moments to spend some time between you and the Lord. You and the Lord. Letting your mind be filled with truth. Maybe reading back through some notes that you took. Maybe reading through parts of the passage. Whichever. Maybe it's time for just prayer. Let your mind be filled with truth. Just a few moments we'll take and we'll do a song and, and we'll pray. Which we do that. In these next few moments, it's about a couple minutes, take some time between you and the Lord. And let your mind be filled with Him. And renew once again your love and your devotion to Him. Would you please do that now? Thank you.